Hello and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast where each episode we go back and we look at a Netflix original film in the order of release. Today we have Netflix 143rd film. It's the 2019 biographical comedy drama The Dirt directed by Jeff Tremaine. It stars Douglas Booth, Colson Baker, Daniel Weber, Ewan Rion and Pete Davidson. I am Jesse and back again with MJ. How are you? I'm good. I told you I'd come back. I was probably semi-committal on the last podcast as to whether I'd come back, but no, no, here I am back back in it and back for a very, very different movie from what we watched last week. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good um, good little segue that this is uh, in Australia anyway, it's R18. Um, and I think it is, that yeah. it's probably important that we mention that there's probably a lot of our things we're going to discuss that aren't very appropriate for young ears. So if, um, if you're... Uh, yeah, under the age of 18, probably don't listen to this one or watch this Not one. Not to mention, this is probably a good time to do the spoiler alert too, because if you haven't watched the film, we're going to spoil it. And if you're under 18 in Australia, you shouldn't be watching the film anyway, uh, despite the fact that I don't know how the parental codes, the parental stuff, lockouts work on Netflix, but I'm sure there's plenty of 15 to 16 year olds who know their way around it. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's non-existent. Um, I think that the, the, the way that the rating system works, um, it's pretty non-existent on Netflix. You Govern yourself, please, kids. Yes, take, do, it, do it on your own terms and be like, when I'm 18, I'm going to um, <laughs> watch watch this film. I, I remember when I was younger anyway, I think um, the <clears throat> 70s film Carrie, I don't know if you've seen uh, Brian De Palma Carrie. I, I felt, you know, I, was, I think I was like 15 and I went through um, Kmart to, to buy it on DVD <laughs> and I just felt so nervous putting it on the counter and, and I, I got it. So I was very happy. <laughs> it was, was, that, was that R, was it? Yeah, the, it is R. Ah, okay. <laughs> I still remember yeah. when um, when Scary Movie came out and that was MA. So that was, you had to be over 15 to watch it. And I would have been you know, like 12 or 13. And I just remember like feeling so restricted, like that there is no way that I can watch this movie. And eventually we had to hire it from Blockbuster like six months later <laughs> once it was done. But what a feeling that was where you actually cannot go and see a movie. It's, a it's movie. like you need to give ID to get booze and <laughs> what a world. Very true. Well, we should probably get back into what we're here to talk about, which is uh, the dirt. The dirt. So, give us your your fast flicks with your quick little summary of what this one is about. Yeah, it's basically a, a balls and all story about Motley Crue and the individual band members that make it up. I like that uh, use of the word balls. Very good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've said the same. This is the the rise and the fall of the band Motley Crue uh, during the eighties and the nineties. So, uh, yeah, not much more that we can really add without going <clears throat> no. into this film. Well, this one has a good story and I, I'm list, looking forward to hearing your your take on how this one was put together. Yeah, look, um, obviously it's it's based off the autobiography book, which is basically just based off the lives of the guys from, from Motley Crue. So the, the book was called The Dirt, Confessions of the World's Most Notorious Rock Band. Um, it was authored by Neil Strauss, but also all four of the band members were very much across it. And in 2006, the film adaptation rights to that book were bought out by Paramount and MTV. Um, at the time, they had Larry Charles on board to direct the film. Um, however, the production stalled. And in 2006, I've got found a nice quote from Nikki Six, one of the band members, uh, who was pretty, pretty disgruntled about where everything was going with the film. And he sort of said, we're trying to get them out of the way to make this movie that should have been made a long time ago. MTV has been bogged down on <laughs> bogged down on its own way. It's a channel that used to be hip and has now actually become unhip. 
we, we signed with them because we believe they were right, but they haven't come to the table. We need to find the right partner. They are not the right partner. So scathing uh, mm. reports of MTV in the whole production process of this. So basically the film just died because it seems to me that MTV and probably Paramount as well just didn't really come to the party with it. So in November 2013, so that's seven years since the, the film adaptations were first written, um, the film was actually dropped by MTV and Paramount Pictures. Uh, Jeff Tremaine signed on to direct the film, which ends up directing the film. And then in January 2015, so again, another leap ahead, Focus Fixtures picks up the rights to the film. However, that languished in development hell until March 2017. And that's when Netflix came on board and brought the worldwide bought the worldwide rights to the film. So at that time, they actually had Liam Hemsworth, Emery Cohen and Douglas Booth uh, in in talks for the lead roles. November of that year, Douglas Booth actually signed to star in the film. And then they ended up getting Machine Gun Kelly, Iwan Rion and Daniel Weber to join the cast. Um, so after the film adaptation was, <laughs> the adaptation rights were bought in 2006, the principal production actually started in February of 2018 in New Orleans. So a nice 12 years from when the book rights were bought. Um, and in terms of the actual shoot, there was something quite interesting that I didn't realize, obviously going into this, that, so I guess they're about a month into shooting and one of the rigging grips from the production team, Lewis um, Devensetti, Devensetti, apologies, got an electric shock while he was de-rigging the set. Um, uh, he was basically passing metal pipes to another crew member. One pipe had made contact with a nearby power line, caused an electric current that arced through his body and blew out his right foot. So he actually sustained second and third degree burns over 50% of his body. He had numerous surgeries, skin grafts, and his right foot had to be amputated. So uh, a year later, he ended up suing Netflix and Motley Crue for $1.8 million to compensate for his medical bills. So it wasn't the smooth sailing shoot they would have liked. And I'm sure $1.8 million wasn't something they were planning on, on budgeting for in their production budget when they started. So you're right. There is a little bit of a story on this one, and that's that's sort of how we got to this film being on Netflix. Good little, um, yeah, good little take there. You've, you've touched on a lot of stuff I, I was, uh, I had as well. And, um, just, I got another quote there from, uh, Nikki as well, where he, he says, you know, they had that final veto on the script too. Um, and they okayed everything because they thought it was telling their story and they wanted it to feel truthful. So it's nice to hear that, the, you know, the band actually still maintained a fair bit of, uh, you know, ownership over, over the final film. Um, I think the interesting thing with this too, I guess, is that the, the band, they did sign a contract um, to promise to never tour again after that farewell tour that they showed in the credits at the end of the film. Yeah. Um, so the way they got around that, of getting back together was they recorded a couple of new songs for the soundtrack for this film. Um, however, they, they were meant to tour again um, last year, but because of the pandemic, okay. it's been postponed. It's going to happen in 2022. But um, so I think they are, they are back together. Um, I think in a professional manner, not necessarily in a, in a, a friendship sort of way. Cause if you read a lot of the stories, there's, there's still a little bit of animosity amongst a few of these band members. Right? Um, yeah. And I, a couple of other things I guess I'll just touch on is there are a lot of factual differences um, in this. And I think that's a lot of the criticism uh, of this film is that there's, there's a little creativity in, in some of the scenarios. Um, and I think the one that probably stands out the most to a lot of people is, is, the, the one that the story that everyone knows about Motley Crue is, is Tommy Lee's uh, marriage to Pamela Anderson. And, mm. and uh, you know, the, the idea that 
you know, he knew her for four days, married her, and they completely left this out of the story that they had kids. Um, there was a big sex tape. There was a, like, I, 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 you know, you, everyone knows these stories. And, you know, he, he spent six months in prison for assaulting her as well. Um, so <laughs> I think she accused him of giving her, uh, of giving her hepatitis C as well. So, you know, it's just, it's just interesting that, that there is a lot of heavy stuff in this film, but there are some things that they did leave out. And um, I think in the show notes, I'll put a link with a, a whole bunch of list of, of differences between real life and some of the situations that, that didn't pan out um, in this one too. I think the, I think the, the another little thing too, there's a scene, I don't know if you picked up on it, but um, Nikki wakes up in this hotel room with this groupie next to him and he, um, he throws a burrito out of the bed. And, and according to the singer Vince, um, like after a night of, of group of group sex with a lot of people with the Motley Crew, that they would um, get burritos and, and rub it on their genitals to get rid of the smell before they went home to their partners. So it's just these <laughs> these these little um, these little tiny bits that they've added in the film that actually um, that that have taken from the the book that you mentioned at the start too. Um, I think uh, yeah. Last thing I'll, I'll mention is uh, the, yeah. the different titles across uh, the world. So uh, yep. in um, in Germany, it's called um, the Dirt. They wanted sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> that's a that's a it's a good little title. Yeah. In uh, in Greece, it was just called the Motley Crew Confess. In Hungary, it's called Dirty Rock and Roll. In Brazil, it was called yeah. the Motley Crew Confessions. In Japan, um, also the Motley Crew Autobiography. My favorite translation that probably didn't come across correctly is in Russia. It's called Mud. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so like um, we don't have a word for dirt. What's the closest dirt. thing? We got a word for mud. So I thought that was uh, that was quite good. You mentioned before, before too, about that cost with um, the the suing for the the electrical rigging sort of stuff. And I guess did you pick up on the the budget for this one? Oh no, I didn't even look. Twenty three point one million, and I'm not sure whether that includes um, includes the the cost of that suing. But um, it's a it's a decent like for what you see, it's not too bad, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that surprises me. Um, I didn't even know there was a budget for this one, so. I wonder how much money was burnt on this film over the, over those twelve years as well. Um, yeah, very mainly true. by Paramount and MTV. So around the the twenty three million mark, some some films that are some recent films, I guess, is The Hate You Give, which is a uh, a nice little film if you haven't seen it about uh, race relations in America recently. Uh, Waterboy with Adam Sandler, Empire Strikes <laughs> Back, and back in the seventies eighties with uh, Star Wars. Zombieland and her as well. So a couple of other yeah. films that, that are made around this um, same sort of budget too. Uh, filmed in and around New Orleans and LA, premiered in LA on the 18th of March, 2019, before Netflix on the 22nd of March, 2019. Uh, did win an award too. Um, it won the Best Music Supervision for a TV Movie at the Guild of Music Supervisors Award. So um, it is an award-winning film. It's award-winning nice film. To hear. Yeah. What about some consensus for this one? What have you got? It's not too bad. It's uh, on IMDb. It's sitting at a seven out of ten from forty-two thousand ratings. Forty-two thousand is a big number. Um, I think they'd be pretty happy with the eyeballs they got for this one. It's a little bit lower on Letterbox at three out of five with nearly thirty-one thousand ratings. But again, pretty good. They'd be pretty happy with those numbers. So, from that perspective, the consensus looks all right. But uh, what else did you find? <laughs> I'm guessing that's a good segue into Rotten Tomatoes, where the, the critics. <laughs> Critics do not like this one. Uh, it sits at a, a rotten 38% on 72 reviews. So uh, very, very low. But the audience on Rotten Tomatoes had it had it at 94%. And that's on over 5,000 5, people, which is high on Rotten Tomatoes. So um, that's such a big differential uh, for Rotten Tomatoes. There is some fan love for this film. 
yeah, 5,000. I'm just, that, those numbers are huge. So I guess um, I think I'm, I'm really intrigued to, to hear your thoughts for this one because I, I don't know if we're going to have a similar take or not. So give me your <laughs> I've I've got a few thoughts on this one. I mean, in general, I didn't, I didn't mind the movie. I'm, I'm not a Motley Crue fan um, and I'm not, not a Motley Crue fan. I, I certainly didn't know any of the story outside of Tommy Lee, really. <laughs> and a lot of that wasn't covered that I was expecting, as you said. So I barely knew any of the other individuals. So I was coming in really fresh. But in general, the story, the characters, they're pretty engaging. I think with these band biopics that we, that were biopics that we see, you, you kind of need a steer from the director, the filmmakers, about what the story is actually about. And we've seen a lot of this kind of stuff in recent years with Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man, but also stuff like Jersey Boys, Dream Girls, Never Tear Us Apart. They're all got the similar sort of vibe to how the film works, but is the focus going to be around the success of the band, the drugs, the members getting in the way of each other? Once you get a vibe of that, you can really settle in. And I think with this, they really wanted to basically just include everything that happened. So there was a period where like this wild party scene was the focus and then it sort of switched to addiction and mortality and then it sort of switched to friendships and all the while it was sprinkled with a series of personal struggles or these events that each character had to deal with. So there's just a lot going on and, and the story itself never really had a shape that I could sort of follow. It was, it was, it was just like watching a, a series of events from this band. It was almost like, and, and I'm not surprised that the band had their fingerprints all over it. They were like, oh, you got to put this in. Yeah, you got to put this in. You got to put this in. And that, that's how it felt, which was still engaging enough to watch. But I did, it just, there was no thread for me to follow is probably the main point. But I still didn't mind it. Yeah, I, that's completely fair. I think uh, the idea of the story yeah, being all over the shop and it was just this, this retelling of events, but in saying that, like I was in this from the get go, I, I had such a fun time, <laughs> just like this lifestyle that not many people have. And uh, I smiled the whole movie. I, I really enjoyed this. <laughs> really enjoyed it. Good. I liked it too. Good. All right. Let's talk about some characters. This, fill us in on who you want to start with. I will start with Nikki six because from an overarching perspective, it's kind of Nikki six's story i mean we, we touch on everyone we're kind of introduced to the movie with nikki and we more or less go through it with him um so we kind of ride shotgun with him the whole way uh, and i'm kind of conflicted with how i feel about him because he does some really stupid shit he does a lot of selfish shit um he more or less comes back from it all in terms of the the movie how the movie's told um but all along i was still kind of rooting for him and i don't, i'm still a little bit of a loss as to why because i think it's almost just because they introduced him as the he's my man that I got to be following. And that was it. So I, I'm keen to hear what you think about him. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think you, you spot on there. Cause I, th- I think they did a really good job. Like in that intro too, with these quick little one-liners about the band members. And, you know, th- I think his was, he lights himself on fire. So you, you get that idea. Like you mentioned that he does do stupid stuff, like for the sake of doing stupid stuff. And, and like you mentioned that the idea of the, uh, that set up at the start of his childhood. Um, we didn't really get to see anyone else's his childhood like we did. And that idea that his father's left, the mother doesn't really care about him. Um, I really thought that that whole idea of him getting his mother arrested was a, so showed that he was pretty intelligent and smart from a young age because he, he mm. had that ability to remove himself from situations that he, he wasn't, um, you know, able to deal with. And I think that, that that's a good follow on um, where, he tries to reach out with his dad that doesn't work and he just keeps falling deeper and deeper into this hole and and i know that mm. all of them had these drug issues but they highlight his um his drug abuse i guess the the worst out of all of them um and and it's good seeing that 
he hits that rock bottom, but like we see at the start when he's a kid, he's able to, um, to, to work out how to get out of that hole eventually too. So yeah, interesting, interesting character that you've got this band of, of four characters and, and that's the one that we, we have that main mm. focus on, I guess. Yeah, that's it. And it, it kind of in almost comparison to Tommy Lee, because I, I kind of feel like Tommy Lee, he, he had a really good soul, if that even makes sense. He was really likable. He was just a bit too dumb, a bit too naive, and he kind of didn't have an off switch. But you almost couldn't offend him, and therefore it felt unfair to be offended by his antics because anything that you did to him, he wouldn't care. So anything he did, you couldn't really care. Um, so he was actually really, really likable. And I, I kind of liked that he came from this wholesome family with, with great parents. And it, 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 and he wasn't a bad dude. He was, he was just a bit of an idiot. Yeah. He's, is that, like you mentioned, that idea that he's got that almost normal family life, but he's almost the one that gets them all together, I guess, as well. He's, is that sort of, uh, that, that super glue or that, that joining, he's able to get them all, all together and, um, yeah, I, I think that throughout the film, the, the 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 band's actions towards females aren't necessarily a positive thing throughout, and and they do highlight a little bit of this with Tommy when you know he stands up for his mum because obviously he does have that respect for his mother. Um, but yeah, he's constantly tempted by women throughout this film, um, and, and I and I think that you know that's that's probably fairly true um, to him in real life too. Yeah. Um, and then you got Mick Mars, so. I feel like Mick really disappeared into the background before, I don't know, like at the start, I kind of felt like we were going to get a really good ride of his story, but then he kind of just, he was kind of there the whole film, not doing all the terrible stuff, but not stopping it either. He was still part of it, but not the lead in it. Um, And apart from his sort of crippling back or hip condition that he had, we never really get into his story, which is fine because as I said, there was enough going otherwise um, but I just feel like I didn't really get to know Mick apart from the fact that he was old, a little bit yep. jaded and he, um, had a crook back. <laughs> yeah. It's literally, literally the same sort of stuff. You know, you, you start off, you, you work out that he's, he's old, he's got this disease and then you see him at the end sort of having that operation to, to fix yeah. it. And, and apart from that, um, you know, you, he's paying child support and, you know, he's struggling at the start, I think, and him being a part of this band, like they try to, to close out on this film. It's like their family, I guess. So um, the one thing with him is I didn't, did not pick up, up on until I was reading afterwards that um, that's the dude from Game of Thrones. <laughs> I had no idea. No idea. Are you serious? <laughs> dead serious. Dead serious. Did not pick up on it at all. I don't know what was wrong with me. I didn't even put him in my IMDb section because I yeah. didn't have the IMDb because as soon as he came on, I'm like, that's bloody Ramsey Bolton. Didn't even need to, didn't even IMDb because I didn't even recognize him. So that was, I was, I was, I was shocked. Anyway, uh, uh, we got one more band member, and that's, uh, that's Vince. Um, so on paper, he probably has the biggest story. If you're trying to tell a story about this band, this is the lead singer who was involved in a horrific car accident where he kills a friend, goes to jail. He goes hard into sobriety. He gets married. He has a daughter. He quits the band. He tragically loses his daughter to cancer, but it still feels like his story was second fiddle to, to Nikki Six and even Tommy Lee to an extent. But then it also kind of felt like they just didn't want to leave anything out, so they put it all in there. And I, as a result, I feel like we skimmed over the enormity of Vince's story, despite the fact that it was all in there. Like this guy just goes through so much, and I kind of felt like we never got a chance to properly sympathize with him because um, it was just kind of happening in the midst of... Um, you know, Nikki having a 
heroin addiction or you know tommy getting married and cheating on his wife and all that kind of stuff i don't know this this there's so much jam-packed in there for for vince's story it's it's mind-blowing i literally had all those things that you listed off as the the same thing it's just like these little skating moments throughout of his story that yeah it doesn't really lead to much um but yeah i guess that he's that connection to that tommy i guess is that that how he tommy finds him for the band so um Yeah, I don't have anything else to add on Vince. You've, you've covered him. But it's interesting nicely. that you say these little like fleeting moments, but they're um they shouldn't be like <laughs> they should be enormous moments. But they felt oh yeah, so, yeah Nikki just oh, sorry Vince just uh, killed a guy. Oh yeah, Vince um <laughs> Vince's daughter. Like it just it felt it felt like they skimmed through it a bit, but it was um mm. they're huge stuff. <laughs> yeah, true. Any other characters that you wanted to talk about? I, I kind of just wanted to touch on. Tom Zuta, who was played by Pete Davidson. And I, I guess he helped them get big, but he never really had a true connection with the band. And I wonder if that's a reflection of the fact that nobody really had this true connection with the band. And despite the fact they had lots of hanger honorers and people who wanted to party with them and, and potentially, you know, draw from their fame and fortune, but no one really connected with these four except for these four. Um, even all the marriages that had all broke up, it was kind of, that goes back to the whole family. Thing, right that it was just the four of them from start yep. to finish and the same for their their manager doc i thought he was um, a very patient guy who <laughs> they probably they probably owe an awful lot to in getting them out of situations that um they were probably too intoxicated or um under the influence of, of something else to to be able to get themselves out of so i think um he probably deserves a little bit of credit from these guys too um, he must I, have I been on an enormous salary um to continue doing that job because it'd be so easy to be like, you know what? I am not going to do this anymore. Yeah. And it was not like, but you could see that they tried to make it out that he, you know, he got that tattoo um, of the band, which yeah. obviously was wrong or whatever, but like, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just nice to see that he, he obviously cared about them. It wasn't just he bought the it, money. Yeah. 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 Uh, the director, Jeff Tremaine, have you got anything interesting to share about him? He's, Directed a lot of Jackass, which uh, which kind of makes sense. There's a there's a nice lineage to some of the stuff we see on screen here. Um, so that's kind of his his go to. He he was also also directed Bad Grandpa, which again is Johnny Knoxville. So uh, he also directed a couple of Thirty for Thirties, which I which I saw. So he's obviously sort of in the game, but this is this is right up his alley. Yeah, done a lot of producing work too. Um, I think there is he's actually working on another Jackass film as well. So there's a fourth one yeah. coming out. So that's still going. Um, they must be like gone. seventy. Yeah, I'd be very intrigued to see. Um, yeah, what the the next one will show us. Um, <laughs> wheelchair antics. <laughs> All right, scene time. Give us some scenes that um you enjoyed in this one. Yeah, there's a few. Um, <clears throat> you already spoke about the scene where we saw Nikki Six as a kid. And I, I like the, the fact they went all the way back to when he was a kid. So you do get a tiny sense of how, how does this person get to this point in his life? And, and whilst it's a three or four minute scene, you do get a vibe of it making sense as opposed to just this guy who's called Nikki Six and all of a sudden wants to start a band. You, you do get a real setup as to why he is like that. And I think to your point as well, He's really savvy as a kid. I, does he, because he obviously says you can either stay with your mom or you can go to um, a foster home. And he basically just cuts a deal with his mum. It's like, look, I won't, I won't like press charges or anything, but I'll, I'm sort of still under your guardianship, but I'm going to bugger off and do my own thing. And you just got to be all right with that. So he doesn't have to go to a home. That's, that's kind of what happened. Yeah. Mm. 
I like that. <laughs> it's clever. Um, so that was a good scene to start things off. I, I like how um, they respected the truth. And I know we talk about some of the things they omitted from the film, but how they respected the truth and took this sidebar whenever the story kind of strayed away from what was really happening. Um, it was, it, a, it was just a bit of fun, but also it kind of, it felt to me like it was holding them accountable, which from the reviews, maybe they weren't as accountable as they could have been. But I do like the fact that they did, you know, at the end of the day, a story is a story and it's going to be told a lot better if you fake some of it. But whenever they did fake the story, they they kind of called themselves out. So, yeah. um, And then there's kind of a bit of a change of tone for the other scenes that I like. I actually really like the car crash scene. I think despite not knowing the story, they set it up as kind of inevitable. Like this is something bad's going to happen here. And um, the scene where he where he's kind of in a daze and imagining that his friends sort of still alive and still talking was, was pretty raw. And um, I think it set up a nice component of Vince's character that we sort of see for the rest of it. Um, that was a really good scene. Mm. I also liked, cause I almost disliked this scene when uh, obviously Nikki six almost dies um, and he sort of comes back and he talks about how he's like, well, I'd hit rock bottom Um and I was thinking, like, this is too convenient for him to clean himself up. Just, yeah, obviously not too convenient because he almost died, but just to flick a switch and go, yeah, I'm good now. I've, I've hit rock bottom. And then then he shoots up again that night. I, I appreciated that, that it was like, it's not that easy to stop what he's doing. So I, I appreciated that the, they went to that um, went to that level to explain how difficult this addiction can be. Um, I loved the scene with Vince and his daughter in hospital when he's talking about the flower inside her. And I just, you know, he got this guy, we've seen all the crazy things he's done as a man, but at the end of the day, he's a, he's a father and he does, he, he does exactly what a good father would do in that situation. And that kind of ties into him after she's passed away and he's talking to her friends about her. And I love the line where he says it's against the rules of the universe Mm-hmm. to basically take someone that young like it's it, it was really touching and and that that part of the movie really really hit me hard um and i think that's probably why i did feel a connection with vince's character maybe why i did feel a bit miffed by the fact that i didn't get more of it um and then the last thing i liked i love the final scene of them walking out on stage together it's a little bit corny um but that kind of stuff's right up my alley and yeah it was kind of cool watching them just go out and do it again after everything they're still together and yeah that was that was a nice way to end the film Good. Yeah, very nice. Some um, some scenes that you've got that I might mention um, in the ones that I didn't like. So, um, oh no, yeah, but we'll get to that later on because some things that I guess uh, I th- <clears throat> that the the opening montage uh, with that conclusion of Tommy Lee and that female acquaintance um, creating like this fountain <laughs> scenario, <laughs> like that just got me straight away and shook me. And I was like, what are we watching? Um, I couldn't believe that that was on screen. Um, and apparently, yeah, the, there was um, a bit of a groupie who, yeah, she, she's a real character. So I thought that was very, um, very interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Ozzy Osbourne um, scene by the pool. <laughs> I thought that was, I just could not believe what was happening, like snorting ants and <laughs> um, licking urine off the floor. Oh, man. I don't mm. know. I, I just thought, like, I was just like, I think the the shock value of some of these scenes just really got me. Um, and the the last thing that I really liked in this too was um, 
this montage of, of Tommy Lee, like a day in the life on the road with him. And it just uh-huh. that camera strapped to him. And it's just like yeah. this hectic antic um, day of events or night of events almost by the time, you know, get on Wake a plane. Wake up at 5pm. <laughs> yeah, different, different city, different hotel. Um, I thought that was really cool and well done. Um, yeah. yeah. What, what, are some, what are some things that you, you didn't necessarily like in this one? Well, there wasn't much in terms of actual scenes. I didn't, but the one scene I didn't like was the Ozzy Osbourne scene. I, I, I thought like, it was almost like a name dropping scene for me. I didn't know why it was in there. And, and it was almost like they got to a point where like, Oh, we put Ozzy Osbourne in there. Let's show how just ridiculous this man is. And I don't know. And he's just, the ants was one thing. When he just started licking up the piss and then doing it again, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I, I've copped a lot in this film and that's almost, that's almost past me. Mainly because I just didn't see, I didn't see the reason for it. So yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And th- look, this isn't a scene, but one thing that I it was a little bit annoyed me a little bit was I, I I think I wanted to see more of them either writing songs or highlighting the genius of the band. I mean, this is a widely successful band. Uh, like there, there's an assumption watching the film for me that like Nikki Six is kind of that genius behind the songs, and I think that if we see more of this, I can connect more to the story. And I, from what I'm reading, like. Mick is just like an insane guitarist and like all this sort of stuff really gets glossed over. Um, and I guess we already had a really jam packed enough story as I've already spoken about, but I don't know. Like we never really understood why these guys were so famous. It, it didn't, it didn't really, it wasn't really covered at all. And I feel like it's important because yeah, these guys are, you know, crazy party animals, but they're also super talented to be one of the greatest sort of rock bands of a generation. Um, and <laughs> we don't really know why. Yeah, good points, fair points. And I think it's like what we mentioned before, just everything sort of like glossed over quickly because like, you know, you've got that Tommy Lee drumming in that rotating cage. Like, <laughs> like they must have put so much effort into making it and it's like one shot. That's it. I'm like, yeah, exactly. You know, it, it's, it's like, think of, think of being, having to like, my head spins just turning How my head upside down. Be? Yeah, anyway. Yeah, I, yeah, good points. Um, the, the, the car crash scene, well, I think the parts you mentioned were good, the lead up to me was just, it was just too obvious and too oh, yeah. like, you know, as soon as you see them pick up the car keys and get in a car, you know, that something bad's going to happen. So um, yeah, I, I, I just thought that maybe a little bit of a shock, shock value would have been a little bit better, but maybe that's just because they'd done such a good job of showing how out of control these people were in the lead up to that as well. <laughs> I think then, I enjoyed uh, the cushion. I enjoyed the cushion that they gave me that I know yeah. this is going to happen because it was, yeah. it was pretty emotional. Yeah. And the only other thing that, yeah, I, Vince's kid dying. Every scene in that hospital, I just thought it was, uh, yeah, it's a bit too in your face um, compared to the, the the feel of the rest of the film. Um, you've got some, you do have some heavy dark moments, but the way that this was done, I don't know whether it was the performance from the kid, but it just did not get me at all. I was like, uh, it, okay. it was almost, almost too melodramatic and a bit like your soap opera sort of, um, you know, death scenes. Um, well, it was yeah. a little bit. You're right. Which, yeah, yeah it still got me. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, what, what's your ta- what are some themes or some ideas in this one? Oh man, where do you start? <laughs> like that, and that's it's good that they do cover it all, but it's also half the problem with the film is that they cover too much. Like you could argue this film is about addiction, it's about relationships and infidelity, it's about fame, it's about that rock star lifestyle, and. It, I guess the question is, are these guys the true epitome of that rock star lifestyle as well? But it's about loss. It's about brotherhood and friendship. 
It's about owning your own story and owning your mistakes. Man, there's so much of this is about. And whether it goes into any of them deep enough, I think you could argue addiction is a pretty big thread throughout it. Um, and whether it comes around full circle, I'm not 100% sure. I know Nikki Six's story maybe is positive, but maybe not as well. I don't know. There's just a lot to take in and they cover a lot, which, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, but you've, as you said, there's heaps and heaps. And I think that um, that addiction that you, you talk about too, like the, the abuse of so many different substances and that idea of what, what is sobriety and, and how do you reach that um, without being too self-destructive because that's that's realistically what these guys were. They were, they were on this pathway mm-hmm. to complete and utter self-destruction. And, yeah. and I think that the one thing they tried, I guess, and they met, they said this right in the opening and they said it right at the end with uh, Nikki too, is this idea of chasing ghosts. And I think that was more Nikki's story, but um, you know, this, this idea that what is that, that thing that you're after and, and I think they did a nice job at the end by saying, you know, for us, it's, it's us as a band together, even though that may not necessarily, um, you know, that's more a, a Hollywood style ending um, to, to put in the film. It might yeah, not necessarily sure. be as a band, but yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's so much in this. And like you mentioned, just lots and lots. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's funny you mentioned about the whole addiction thing and it's almost negligible the way they move on from that because obviously you see Nikki's rise and fall on addiction Tommy Tommy is as much an addict as anybody in this film and the only thing we get is when Nikki goes to rehab they're like oh we all went to rehab like Tommy was just like oh yeah that sounds a great idea let's go to rehab like I feel like we should have done a little bit more about how Tommy (laughs) tried to sort of move on from all this (laughs) I don't know it's just addiction is such a big part of their story and it was just like oh yeah we went to rehab and we're all pretty good after that cool thanks for that 12 seconds <laughs> it was like one one shot of the, the center and then that was it it was like <laughs> cool, we're done. Oh, good all right what what did you take away from uh, this one look despite it, it's it's disjointedness um I did enjoy enjoy riding this roller coaster. Um, I actually enjoyed the fact that I didn't know the story and I didn't know what was coming next or where they were ultimately heading. Um, I didn't even know right now if they were all still alive, but I enjoyed hearing a familiar song and a familiar name from time to time, so I felt like I was still in on it. Um, I think if, you, if you're a Motley Crue fan, you, you could argue that maybe this would be disappointing because it is a bit all over the shop and you probably know all of these events that are happening and you potentially don't learn anything new. But my gut tells me that you'll probably enjoy it because you really don't miss that much. <laughs> Everything that you've sort of read about in the papers is all there. All the stories that you wanted to hear are there. Everything in the book that you've probably read are there. And looking at those fan numbers, I'm assuming the Brotley Crew fans did get behind this and did enjoy it. So that's it's kind of it's kind of a big success for everyone who made this film. I, you can't really argue with that. Yeah, I I sort of lead on to that a little bit where. I was talking to a, um, a colleague at work about, you know, watch this film. Like we're talking about what have you watched recently? I'm like, oh, I watched this and I really enjoyed it. And he sort of looked at me kind of like in a disgusted sort of way. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, ah, oh, nah, the, the film's no good. He's goes, he's read the book and he said, the book is amazing. Um, and from reading this book on like the dirt, what was it called? Um, the, the Confessions of the World's Most Notorious Rock Band, the author, Neil Strauss, Strauss he said, after reading this book, he's gone and read all of his books that his writing in this book was so good. So um, okay. I guess me, maybe I need to, to read this book as, as a follow-up um, if, you know, there's better ways of telling these stories than visually. But um, I, yeah, I, yeah, maybe I'm intrigued to read the book. Maybe that's what I take out of this. 
Well, I find it interesting that of my letterboxed friends who have seen this film, uh, I only had two had seen it. One of them who I haven't spoken to him, but I'm assuming he would have read the book. He's, he's a big Motley Crue. I think he's a big Motley Crue fan. He gave it a one star. So th- there might be something in that as well. I should, yeah. I should hit him up as to why. He, yeah. might, he might say the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah interesting. Did, did you jump onto IMDb to check anyone out for this one? To be honest, I reckon at some point I looked at all the band members and I don't know if that's because I was just so, you know, we were just in this party with them from the start. Um, Douglas Booth, who played Nicky Six, he's not in anything I've seen. He just reminded me so much of Darcy Moore from Collingwood, the entire film. We've got the exact same eyes as Darcy <laughs> Moore, so I felt like I was watching him charging through the back line. Um, the main one for me, though, was, was Doc, who was played by David Costable. He had this really familiar face and I couldn't figure out how I knew him. He was in a few episodes of Breaking Bad. He played Gale, who had spent some time with Walter in his lab in some of those middle seasons. Um, and as soon as I saw that, I realised it. So it's another IMDb tick of approval that I felt satisfied when I checked it. Yeah, good, big success. That's a that's a good one. Yeah, I didn't didn't go on. I think I was just too into this. I was just enjoying it. Going, this is this is good. Um, have you got any questions that you want to ask? I do. What is what is your favourite? Uh, a movie about a band it can be fiction or non-fiction what's your favorite oh that's a interesting like i guess the oh, the most recent one i've probably seen was rocket man um mm. and i didn't mind that that was all right um yep. <laughs> probably an embar- I, I loved the spice world movie um oh yes <laughs> went, went to the movies with that with my mum uh, back in the day had it on vhs uh and then even back then as a young kid, like the, the cameos in that, like Meatloaf was in that and Roger Moore and um, yeah, Meatloaf was the bus driver. Yeah, Roger Moore played like a James Bond type character. Um, Richard E. Grant was like their, their manager. Gary Glitter did a, a, a little cameo role. Uh, let's not talk about him, but, you know, like, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll go with, um, I can even reel off those memories off my mind. So I'll go with Spice World. <laughs> when was the last time you watched Spice World? Uh, not that long ago, because um, I do yeah, have a DVD. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Uh, what about you? Have you got uh, a good band movie? Uh, look, I, I actually, I really liked, um, I remember when I watched Dreamgirls the first time, I thought it was great. Um, and I thought I, I was in awe of Jennifer Hudson back then in that film. But I actually, wanted, it's, it's a fiction band movie, but the movie Thunderstruck, Australian movie, I remember watching that at the movies and absolutely loved it. Basically about a like a, a nothing sort of band who get together to they want to take their mates' ashes to where Bon Scott is buried in WA. So it was a really a really good movie. Um that Stephen Curry. Was Stephen Curry's yeah. in it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good. Um I I and I think you've already touched base in a couple of parts of this already, but are you familiar with a lot of the Motley Crew music? Yeah, enough of it. Um, yeah. Probably more by hearing it rather than by song names. You hear the song, I own this. I own this song. Yeah, yeah, same. Very, very same. Anything else? Uh, well, I, yeah, I was going to ask if you're a Motley Crue fan, but um, that's probably you. Just we just answered that question ourselves. Yeah, we did. Um, Rockstar Supernova. I just want to bring this up. Did you? Oh, yeah. So there was a, there was a TV show called uh, Rockstar. The first season was to. In find excess. The, in excess and then the second season was a spin-off where they created this super group with tommy lee was in it um he was yeah. and he, he was the drummer so i just um i had fond memories of that and um 
Hader's not here, um, but obviously Hader, Hader was someone that used to be on this show with us um, a while ago. But when we were in year 12, that was our um, Tuesday morning chat and home group was about the episode of Supernova from the night before. So just a, just a, a nice little um, little memory uh, of Tommy Lee in uh, Supernova. <laughs> oh, yeah. Rockstar was basically like Australian or American Idol for, um, for rock. That was basically the crux of the show, right? And the band just like sat up the top and just decided who they wanted to pick as their new lead singer. It was pretty cool. Uh, there was an Aussie in um, Rockstar Supernova too. This guy called Toby Rand. Um, oh, he had this song called Th- Throwing It Away, I think, or something like that. Um, oh, yeah, he did. Was, I know that. Yeah, yeah you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah that was. Um, and, and I think the winner in the end was this guy called Lucas Rossi. And he's like from um, Iceland, possibly. Uh, yeah, it was a good memory. So I wouldn't mind watching that show again. That was good fun. Tommy Lee was Toby Rand. Gay. God. Toby Rand. I just remember Tommy Lee just sitting up there with like his legs up the whole time, just literally just like having a ball. Ball. <laughs> Good. All right. I think uh, we're almost ready to to put this one all together where we come up with a rating out of five for an average. So MJ, what are your final thoughts? Yeah, look, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, um, despite its flaws and the fact that the story felt pretty uncontained. And maybe that's what they wanted. Maybe that's a true reflection of the band in a sense. Uh, I connected with most of the characters and I was happy to be brought along for the ride. So for me, it's three stars. Nice. Yeah, I I haven't had this much fun watching a movie in quite a while, I think. So I found that the stories were really entertaining, uh, enjoyed the music, just had a really, really good time. So I'm giving it a three and a half out of five, which gives us a 3.25 average, which is quite nice um, on our Flix Kind of the consensus from the rest of the world as well, sitting around there. Yeah, except the critics. Um, Except for the critics, yeah. Screw the critics. critics. (laughs) We are on social media. We've got Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So give us a, a like or a follow if you can. I just wanted to pop a question out for this week is um, if you had the riches of Motley Crue, what would be your first purchase? What would be the first thing you'd buy with, with that cash rather than drugs, alcohol, or strippers? I don't know, probably like property. <laughs> Good. That's what I was like. A nice, nice big house. That's exactly what I did. Good. I'm glad we're both on the same wavelength. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we will be back again next week with, another 2019 film it's an indian film in the marathi language which we had i did a an episode solo by myself um that was in the marathi language a couple of weeks ago but this one is a drama it's called 15 august it's directed by swapanil jaykar and it stars Rinmay deshpand and anath kathar so that is what we've got next week should be interesting yeah well i'm sure it'll be a change of pace again Yes, I'm sure it will. Um, the subtitles would be for a different language, not for the, the, the drug abuse or the, the alcohol intoxication. Yeah, and, and you will be back next week. I'll be back. Yeah, I'll be back. Excellent. I'm loving this. So um, as usual, been a pleasure and, and good fun. And I'll see you next week. See you then, mate.